0: Good. We're so glad you're here. I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Last week, we started a new series that's going to take us all the way through the Bible from, Gen- from the book of Genesis to Revelation. And I'm excited about that. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the unexpected things that we're going to be able to work out, we, we're working on it right now, is actually having a weekend conference on end-time events at the end of this story, at the end of the uh, study. Are you, would you be excited about something like that? talking about the end time things. I have a pastor friend of mine that was a missionary at the same time my parents were, and he has been a college professor and he has made this his his passion, It's really his passion and his study, end time events. And so we are working right now on putting together a a weekend that will focus on Revelation, the end time events, uh, as it's described for us in the Word of God, sometime in September or October, about the time we finish our journey through the entire Bible. We have some resources for you in the back. There's a book called The Story. This is a chronological, edited version, kind of a Reader's Digest version of the Bible that's been uh, woven together, and it reads like a novel. It reads like a story, and it's really easy to follow. If If you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a good way to get started in familiarizing yourself with the Bible narrative, how it flows, and what God's trying to do in his pursuit to bring mankind into a, back into a relationship with him. That's on the table back there, and it's absolutely free. Just pick one up, if you promise to read it. <laughs> okay? uh, don't use it as fire starter tomorrow when it gets really cold. Okay? We also have some Bible studies that are going to be made available each week. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the Bible study that you should have done last week on Chapter 1. This is Chapter two's Bible study. It will be in the back back there for you. Pick it up. I'm also, uh, I've made some booklets. Can I see your booklet for just a minute? That's okay, that's okay. We gave some of these away last week, and I had more printed up, and before, I mean, and they're all gone already. I'm going to have another 20 copies of this made at Staples, and I should have them next Sunday. Uh, This is a great resource. This has all the Bible studies already printed out for you. So you can just take this home, study it, and go through it yourself and bring it with you if you like. What I'm hoping happens is this creates spontaneous conversations among people about what God is doing uh, in in the particular section of the story that we're in. Our one another group, and others uh, maybe as well, are using this as the basis for our discussions when we gather uh, during the week. I'm hoping that parents will go home and read the story to their kids. Just take some time and read that story together and kind of get an idea of what God is uh, is up to. And uh, Anyway, so those resources are all free. If you want to help us pay for them, that would be nice, but nobody's expected to. We just want to give you an opportunity to get into the the Word of God for yourself. Study it for yourself uh, so that you know what God's trying to do in, in, in your life and in the world around us. All right, so we good? If you have any questions, feel free to talk to me about that after the service. How many of you did your Bible study this week? Oh look at y'all, man I'm proud. I need to get my high school kids to come in here and look at that because y'all did your homework. My high school kids won't do their homework. You guys do, awesome. Alright, let's get into the greatest story ever told. We started last week by trying to emphasize reasons why we should read and study the Bible for ourselves. Well listen, the, great, the greatest story ever told is the Word of God, the Bible. And the greatest story ever told begins with the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. The title of this first book really says it all. The word Genesis means beginnings. The word Genesis means beginnings. And Genesis really is the true beginning of the greatest story ever told. It lays the groundwork for the entire story. The principles that are revealed in Genesis are basic to everything else in Scripture. So it's important we study the book, and I hope that you will. The first eight chapters in Genesis are what we're focusing on today. That would be chapter one in the story. These first eight chapters record all kinds of of events in the history of the world. Genesis in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we're told about the creation. And when God was finished with His creation, He looked around and said, that is good, very good. There are all kinds of implications that flow out of that. But if you go on into chapter 3, you begin to see that soon, this very good creation of God begins to fall apart. In Genesis uh, chapter 3, we read about the fall of man. There are three low points of history recorded for us in these first eight chapters. Chapter 3 tells us about the fall of man, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God and introduced sin and death into the world. When you take a look around and wonder why the world is broken, it's broken because of Adam's disobedience. Sin. In Genesis 4, we read about the first murder. The son of Adam and Eve, Cain, killed his brother Abel in a jealous rage. So it becomes clear in chapter 4 that the sin problem isn't restricted to just Adam and Eve. It's now being passed down to their children as well. And we get the idea that all of us now have been infected with this virus, if you will, called sin. In Genesis 6, we read about the flood. 6, 7, and 8. Carry on the story about the flood. We see in, this, in these three chapters that sin continues to spread that all of mankind is rebellious and disobedient toward God we see in these chapters that human wickedness becomes so prevalent that this statement is made and it may shock you when you hear it God regretted that he had made man uh, that he had made man God regretted that he had made man wickedness was so prevalent upon the earth so God decided That he would flood the entire world with water and start all over again with the only righteous man he could find on planet earth, that man being Noah. And what you see here established for us really is the heart of the story. It sets in place the conflict that's going on. The conflict between God and his righteous rule against man and his rebellion and sin. And we're going to find, as this greatest story continues to evolve, that man's sin and rebellion continues to be the problem that leads to all the death and destruction, all the brokenness and pain in God's good creation. And it becomes clear that God intends to resolve this sin problem. He intends to do something about it. He intends to save His creation from the awful devastation that sin is causing. And it's this theme that lies at the heart of the story that we're about to read for the remainder of this year. This theme lies at the heart of the story. God and His relentless resolve to save people like you and me from sin and death. And I don't know about you, but I am glad He has been relentless in His resolve to save somebody like me from sin and death. Has He saved you? You're going to find as you read the story at any point, you and I would have given up. We would have quit. We would have looked at this little rebellious creature called man, and we would have said, forget this, I'm done. But not God. Not God. Because of His unfailing love for us, He continues to pursue us with a passion and a zeal that will not be stopped. So, instead of blaming God, as so many people do, for the way things are now, Genesis makes it clear. That people like you and me are responsible for the mess that we're in. The reason the world is broken is not because of God. It's because of us. We are the crux of the problem. But also in Genesis, we get for the first time glimpses into God's character as He responds to mankind's sin. It becomes clear to us in Genesis that God is just. It becomes clear that He has to end sin. He needs to stop it so He can stop the devastation that, and the death that comes with it. But it also becomes clear to us that God is merciful and He's gracious and He's loving. God's justice requires Him to confront sin and bring an end to it, but His mercy and His grace and His love desires to save us and restore us and make all things new again. Oh man. That's the part we like, isn't it? We're going to explore more of these things as we go along in the greatest story ever told, but today I just want to focus on really Genesis chapter 1 and specifically Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I want to talk about the star of the story God. God is the star of the story. And I encourage you as we journey through the Bible, keep your eyes on God. The tendency sometimes is to look at the people who are involved in the story. But I want you instead, if you will, to keep your focus on God and see for yourself who God is as we go chapter by chapter through this greatest story ever told. So today we're going to focus on God. We're just going to be introduced to some of the most incredible features, characteristics about this Creator God who loves us and cares about us. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 reads, In the beginning, God. Say that with me. In the beginning, God. The four most important words in the Bible, I think. If you don't don't believe those first four words, you can throw the rest of it away. This is where it starts. This is where faith begins. This is where wisdom begins. In the beginning, God. Say it with me. In the beginning, God. Created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I know that within the sound of my voice are people who are struggling to believe that you're real. And I pray today, as we spend time talking about you, that you would lift the blinders from their eyes and unstop their ears and help them for the very first time. See you as you truly are. A God of grace and mercy. A God of justice. A God who is in a relentless pursuit, passionately desiring to bring us back into a relationship with Him. Help each one of us, Lord, to see you as you are. We've had so many people tell us about you. And we have so many misunderstandings. And you have been mischaracterized in so many ways. Father, I pray today you would begin to show us who you really are. Reveal to us your true character and nature. Let faith in our hearts rise to believe and trust and hope in you. You are the star of this story. The whole universe revolves around you. Help us to fix our focus on you. Nowhere else. Because in you we find everything we need. Everything we could ever desire is found in you. So at the outset of this study, oh God, make it clear that you're the star of the story. And stir up within us a desire to know you, not just know about you, but to know you in truth so we can worship you as you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's be clear as we get started today. Genesis 1 isn't given to us so that we can explain the specifics of creation. If we get bogged down trying to reconcile the creation account with modern science, we're going to miss the main point of Genesis chapter 1. And the main point of Genesis chapter 1 is not about the science of creation. It's not whether creation took six literal days or six extended periods of time the main point of Genesis 1 is about the Creator. It's about the Creator God revealing Himself to us through His works of creation. God is mentioned by name 30 times in Genesis chapter 1. It's the most God centered chapter in the Bible. So the star of this story is God. It's not His creation, it's not you and me, it's God. God is the center of this chapter, and He remains the center of the, of the, of the Word from now until revelation and it becomes really clear as you read genesis chapter 1 that this chapter is not so much about creation as it is about the creator god uses his creation story to introduce himself to us and to help us understand what he's like and you could meditate on this chapter and i'm just going to kind of skim the, the top of it there's so much more here that we could get into but who is this god that plays the starring role in this story what kind of God is this Creator God? And why is it so important that we make Him the focus of our exploration instead of turning our focus somewhere else? Well, those are the questions I hope to, uh, be, uh, to, to try to answer today as we talk about this God who's revealed to us in Genesis chapter 1. The first thing I want you to recognize about this God is this. In the beginning, God, right? Our Creator God is eternally existent. Our Creator God is eternally existent. The Bible never ever tries to prove the existence of God. It simply assumes that God exists and all, and always has existed. Genesis one one simply says, "In the beginning, God." In the beginning, God. There's no explanation of what uh, uh, of, uh, of you know what it was like before. It was just God was there. Everything before anything was God was. Everything else in creation has a beginning except God. He's eternally existent. God always was, He always is, and He always will be. You're going to find later that God gives uh, Himself a name. He says, I am that I am. There's this idea that He is just here. Always has been, always will be, always is here. Here. And it's important, look, that we grasp this concept. Psalm 92, 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He was before time existed, He will be after time has ceased to exist, and He will fill it all in between. He is. It's just important that we grasp this concept. Everything in creation begins with God. Everything in creation begins with God. Life begins with God. Truth begins with God. Understanding begins with God. Wisdom begins with God. Everything in creation begins with God. That's why Genesis 1-1 is the first verse of the Bible. It all begins with God. We've got to stop here. We've got to start here. If you skip this verse then nothing else in the Bible is going to make sense to you. If you skip this verse, you're going to miss the central fact of the universe. If you skip this verse, it doesn't matter that you graduated from Harvard or Yale with a PhD. You're going to spend your days just nibbling around the edges of truth. You'll never come to know truth itself. If you skip this verse, you may know the details of your daily life, but you're never going to be able to understand the answers to the big questions of life. Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where do I go when I die? Those answers can only be found if you believe in the beginning, God. Apart from God, there are no answers to those questions. God is eternally existent. Believing God exists completely changes the trajectory of your life. To believe that God exists sets you on a course to know who this God is for yourself. And in finding Him, here's what you discover. You discover everything you need to know about your life and yourself and the world around you. You'll also discover when you start here, you'll also discover that He stands ready to bless your life with all kinds of good things. He's a good God, and when He's done with His work, He's going to look at you and say, good, very good. Here's what you find. These are the kind of blessings that God wants to lavish on your life. He wants to give you hope for the future. Why? Because He's there. He wants to give you forgiveness for your past. Why? Because He's there. And He wants to give you strength and peace in the present. Why? Because He's here. He's eternally existent. Hebrews 11.6 says this, For whoever would draw near to God, You want to draw near to God? Do you want to draw near to God? You must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That's the starting point for the story of the Bible and it's the starting point for the story of your new life in Christ Jesus to believe that He exists. You get that? Eternally existent. He's also infinitely powerful. Our Creator God is infinitely powerful. When God created the heavens and the earth, He didn't bother to consult with anybody else. There was no one else to consult. God didn't need anyone to help him separate the land from the seas and the light from the darkness. There was was no one. Excuse me. Look, here's the deal. This is one of my days. Can I just say that? There was no one else to help him. There was no one else to help God. God simply acted on his own to do what God intended to do. He's infinitely powerful. God simply spoke, and it was so because he's infinitely powerful. Psalm 33: six through nine says, "By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars, He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord." Let all the people of the world revere Him, for He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. He's infinitely powerful. This Creator God is the Almighty God, the Maker of heaven and earth, and His power has not diminished in the least. It's not diminished at all. Luke, 11, or Luke 1 says this, for nothing is impossible with God. We just sang it a minute ago. And with a word, this is, this is what I want you to understand, with a word, the same God that spoke light into existence, the same, Lord, uh, the same God who spoke uh, and separated the land from the sea is the same God who can speak a word and save you. He's the same God that can speak a word and heal you. He's the same God that can speak a word and restore you, deliver you. He's the same God that can speak a word and set you free. This is the God that's at work in your life. With a word, he can do what might seem to you to be impossible, but with him all things are possible. He is infinitely powerful, and we see it on display here in creation. Our creator God is also supremely intelligent. Supremely intelligent. In fact, God's a genius. <laughs> He's a genius. How can anyone look at creation and its intricate design and deny the evidence of the creator? They do. I just don't know how they do it. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said this, in in response to a little girl who wrote him asking about, can a scientist have faith? Albert Einstein responded to this little girl in a letter and said, everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and one in the face of which we with our modest powers must feel humble. One example to illustrate God's intelligence and his supreme intelligence is the rate. I don't want to get, you know, you guys can check this stuff out if you want. Google it if you want. One little example is is the rate at which the universe is expanding. Now, I'm a nerd. I like this kind of stuff. But the rate at which the universe is expanding. If the universe were expanding too quickly, matter itself would expand so quickly that the stars couldn't be formed and the galaxies wouldn't exist. And if the universe expanded too slowly, the universe would collapse on itself before the stars could be formed. The universe is expanding at just the right rate to keep everything as it is, to keep life as it is. Now, don't tell me that happens by accident. Don't tell me that happens by accident. There is a cause to all that we see, and that cause is God. In the beginning, God. You can call it a big bang if you want. I just know that when God spoke, bang. In the beginning, God. I mean, take a look at your hand, for crying out loud. Do you think a human being could have come up with this design? I marvel at my hand. This hand can take a can and crush it. Or this hand can hold a baby and caress it. You know what I mean? It's just amazing what this hand can do. Anyway, every time I've, I've held a little baby, I think to myself, how could anyone deny that God exists? Life itself, it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from someone. Anyway, British astrophysicist Fred Hoyle writes this. He said, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seemed to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Our God is so very intelligent so very wise. Proverbs 3.20 and 23 says this about Him. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, He set the heavens in place. By His knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. It goes on to tell us, that because creation itself displays the genius of God, the Bible tells us we ought to trust Him with our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Now listen, he's, God is supremely intelligent, right? He's got it all figured out. We may not know what our next step is, but who does? God, we may not know where the path we're on is going to lead us, but who does? God, we may not understand all the ins and outs that we're going through. We may not understand all the ups and the downs, but who does? God, He has already figured this out. The details are in His hands. Trust Him. Trust Him. To lead you. Trust Him to guide you. You may not be able to answer all the whys and the hows and the what-fors, but He can. But He can. And that's the point here in Genesis chapter 1. You read about a God, about a God who has it all figured out. Do you think the details of your life are beyond Him? Are they beyond His capacity? Absolutely not. Trust Him. Trust Him. The answers He gives you may not make sense, but... Trust Him. Trust Him to take care of you. Trust Him to lead you. Trust Him to guide you. He'll take you where you want to go and where He wants to lead you. He's supremely intelligent. He's also absolutely orderly. Again, chapter 1 in the book of Genesis tells us that He's absolutely, He's a God of order, not a God of chaos. In the beginning, the Bible tells us the earth was formless. Formless. The message says in Genesis 1.3, Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. Sounds like some of our lives not long ago, doesn't it? In the beginning, there was no order. In the beginning, there was only chaos. In the beginning, there was only emptiness. But God spoke into that darkness, into that emptiness, and there was light. And then, God spoke again. And there was a sky that separated itself from the earth beneath. And then He spoke again. And the dry land separated itself from the seas. And then He spoke again. And plants and trees began to grow on this dry land. Then He spoke again and the sun and the moon took their places in the sky. Then He spoke again, and fish began to swim in those seas, and birds began to fly in the sky. Then God spoke again, and wild animals and livestock began to roam the land. Do you see the orderly progression here? What was once emptiness, darkness, confusion, without form, without order, God is bringing order and form and purpose. You get that? It's an orderly, guess what? He works the same way in our lives. Exactly the same way because that's who He is. Your life that once was so empty and so dark and so confused and so chaotic, guess what? He has a way of speaking into your life and if you will listen and obey, guess what? Things began to fall into place. You could do it like this, step one. Step two. Step three, step four, all the way up to step 12. You get it? Taking the principles that He has given us in His Word. He has spoken. He has spoken His Word. Are you listening? And are you putting it into practice? You get to watch your life. Oh, come on. You're sitting in church for the very first time with your son. A year ago, what was your life like? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you see what God's doing? You see what God's doing? You're listening. You're responding. And God is putting it all back in order again. I love God. Genesis 1 tells us this is who He is. He has a way of taking our nothingness and making it something beautiful again. In Genesis chapter 1, you see the orderly progression of creation. There's a plan to it. There's a method and a manner to all that God does. God establishes clear boundaries. He brings order to the chaos. He gives structure to formless things. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You want peace? You need order. Things need to know their limits, their boundaries. They need to fit together, work together. God has a way of making things and people work together. You get this? Oh, man, he's a God of order, absolutely orderly in what he does. God will bring order to the chaos of our lives. He can bring order to our relationships. He can bring order to our finances. He can bring order to our thought life. God can bring order to our homes. He can bring order to our hearts. He can bring order to our habits. God has a plan that He wants us to follow to bring order to all those disorderly parts of our life. Now, you can continue on in your disorderliness if you want to. But let me remind you, God has spoken. And if you will listen, and trust, and obey, He can put things back together again that you thought were lost forever. He can make those broken pieces all fit together again and make you whole. This is who God is. He will bring order to your life. Psalm 73, 24 says, you guide me with your counsel. You guide me. Are you allowing him to guide you with his counsel? Or are you still listening to Joe Blow down, there, down the road who can't get his life together either? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Are you, are you following the Hollywood stars who can't ever seem to get their act together either? Are you letting their philosophies and, their, and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the empty philosophies of this age teach you how your marriage should be and should work? Or are you listening to the counsels of God? Because God will, through His counsel, bring your life back together. Bring your home back together. You guide me with your counsel. And this is what I love the last little segment of this uh, verse. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Our God will guide you. This is who He is. He's revealing Himself to us in this passage of Scripture. He is a God of order. He will bring order into your chaos. He will bring peace to your confusion. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Take Him at His word and walk it out. One more thing I want to point out about this passage of Scripture as it tells us and introduces us to this God, and there's so much more, y'all. In this chapter, we're introduced to the concept of the Trinity, although it's not very clear. But when it says, in the beginning, God, it speaks of God in terms of a plural, not just a singular. So right there, we're introduced to the idea that there is not just a single person but there appear to be a multiplicity here at work. We come to find out later as God reveals himself more and more to us, it's in the form of a trinity. We even see the spirit of God hovering around upon the earth, right? John chapter 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. So right here we have this idea of a trinity. There's, more, there's a lot more in this chapter to explore, but there's one more thing I wanted to point out before we bring it to a close. We found out so far that our God is eternally existent. He exists. Always has. Always will. We found out that He's infinitely powerful. There's nothing beyond His capability. We have found that God is supremely intelligent beyond our wildest imaginations. God's got this all figured out. We have also found out that He is absolutely orderly. He brings order to chaos. But the one final thing I wanted to point out to you is this. Our Creator God is immensely personal. He is a person. He's not some impersonal force. He's not some unknowable cosmic power. Genesis 1 tells us that God is a personal being who thinks and plans and speaks and sees value judgments about the things He has made, and He takes pleasure in His handiwork. God is personal. He's a personal God. He's a person. That means He can be known. Guess what? He also wants to be known. God is a person. And we can know Him. And He wants to know us. He created us in His image for that very reason. It says that we have been created in the image of God for that very reason. So we could personally engage with God on a personal basis, in a personal relationship. You find in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in the garden. Well, sin separated that. Sin brought an end to that, right? But you're going to see as we go through the story that all along, God has been trying to, to help man understand what it is to live in relationship with Him. When we get to the Ten Commandments, you're going to see that God puts in place a system that makes it possible for man to draw near to God again. That was a temporary system set up to help the people of Israel. Guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, what was temporary now becomes permanent. There is a permanent way for us to enter into a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ sacrificed for our sins on the cross. We're going to talk about all that as we go along, but what I want you to see right here today is this. The God that so many describe as distant and far away and uninvolved, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, no, I want to know You. I want You to know Me. And He sets in place these processes that enable us to do that. God is personal. He can be known. He wants to be known. He created us in His image for that very purpose. He, made, he put in us, I have yet to talk to anyone. I mean this, and I have, listen, I grew up in India. I have met all kinds of people. I've met rich and poor, educated, uneducated. I spent one entire night on a train with a Buddhist monk. I mean, I've just had a lot of different encounters with a lot of different people. And I have yet to meet anyone who did not realize that there was inside of them a desire to know God. They may have called themselves an atheist. But there was deep in their heart a desire to know God. Some of these atheists could quote quote more, more scripture than I can. Why? Because they're searching for God. You get it? Deep inside each one of us is a desire to know God. Who put it there? God. We're hardwired to know Him. We're hardwired to worship somebody. Got to serve somebody, Bob Dylan sang years ago. Come on, rock and roll, baby. (laughs) We're hardwired with that desire. We want to know God. We want God to know us. Now, we may try to deny that, and we may try to deflect that, but the reality is, deep inside, I know deep inside your heart, you want to know God, and you want to be known by God. St. Augustine, he described this built-in desire to know God personally. He said this about, he said this: He said, "You God stir man to take pleasure in praising you, because you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you." Now that's my story. My heart was restless until I met Jesus Christ. Restless. Casting about, looking for some kind of rationale to the universe. Some kind of plan. Some kind of reason. And I had none until I found Christ Jesus. Blaise Pascal, a great French mathematician and philosopher. He talked about this God-shaped hole that's in every human heart. When he said this, the infinite abyss. He's talking about that hole in the human heart. The infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God Himself. There is deep within our hearts a hole. And we try to fill it with all kinds of things. We try to fill it with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We try to fill it with money and careers. We try to fill it with education and knowledge. But the only one who can fill that enormous God-shaped hole in your heart is God Himself. God Himself. Why is that? Because God hardwired you and me to be in a personal relationship with a personal God. God has created us all with this desire to know Him. I have yet to meet a person who when it gets down to the nitty gritty won't admit this. We know He's there. We know He's there. We know He's real. I mean, we see evidence of Him everywhere. We know we need Him. We know He cares. We know we're lost without Him. We know we can't live without Him. It's a God-shaped hole only He can fill. Now, we try a lot of other things because the last thing we want to do is surrender our hearts to Christ Jesus. Because that means, here's the deal, that means we got to change. That means I can't rule my life anymore. And so we kind of run from what we know to be true, but what's true is this. Until you find your rest in Him, you will always be restless. Until you find that He is your peace, you'll never have peace. Until you find that He's your hope, you'll continue to be full of despair and hopelessness. He's the one that satisfies. He's the one that satisfies. He's a personal God. He wants you to know Him, and He wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says again and again and again and again. Amos 5.4 says, Seek me and live. You want to live? It begins with God. It begins with God. God says in Jeremiah 29.30, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's our problem. We're kind of half-hearted in our pursuit, aren't we? Too easily distracted here, distracted there. We get discouraged and want to drop our heads. Oh, come on now. God wants to know you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. See, that's good news to me today. The good news is that God is personal. He can know and He can be known. He can enjoy and he can be enjoyed. He can speak, and he can be spoken to. He can love, and he can be loved. God is so personal, and he wants to get real up close and personal with you. He's just waiting for a response. He's waiting for a response from you. How much do you want to know him? How much do you want to draw closer to God? You see, this is the deal. He's not just the creator of heaven and earth. He's your creator. He's your creator. He's my creator. And so many of us took this wonderful gift that he gave to us, and we're like the prodigal. We have squandered this gift of life that we were given. And we've been chasing everything but the one that we should have been chasing all along. We have squandered the wealth of life that He has given us, and we found ourselves slopping with pigs in a pig pen. Like the prodigal. Can I get an amen here? I mean, I'm not alone in this, I know. And He says, when you come to your senses, when you come to your senses, Turn around, come home, because the Father's waiting on you. See, this is an amazing thing. In the eyes of God, you're not just a creation. You're just not something he spoke into being. In the eyes of God, you're his son and you're his daughter. And he wants to restore you to that relationship. He wants to bring you back home. He wants to lavish his love on you. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to fill your, li- your, your, your life with good things. This is who He is. You see, you see, our sin plunged us into a pit of chaos and darkness and emptiness. But God, here's the, in Christ Jesus, God Himself moves into that pit with us. And He speaks to us in the midst of that pit of despair. And He says, let there be light. And I believe with all my heart, some of you are getting a little bit of light today in who God is. His Word brings light. That's why I want you to dig into His Word. Because His Word brings light. His His Word will bring you truth. And, And that truth will reveal to you the beauty and the majesty and the love of God.